welcome to this Euractiv Media Partnership event organized by Euractiv Serbia. Our topic today is getting beyond the yes but idiom envisioning Serbia's future in the EU. I'm Brian McGuire. I'll be leading you through this discussion this afternoon. And before we discuss this theme uh, with our distinguished panels, my great pleasure to introduce Anna Brnovic, the Prime Minister of the Republic of Serbia, to give today's keynote speech. Please. Thank you. Very welcome. Yes, right here. Thank you very much. And I, I'd like, uh, first and foremost, to apologize uh, because of my voice, but uh, I've been talking about the EU accession the entire day. So uh, again, I, I need to repeat this in, in a 10-minute speech. Uh, in any event, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, truly. And I had a very good day full of meetings with the President of the European Council, President of the European Commission, uh, as much as three uh, commissioners. And uh, it's always good to be back in Brussels to focus on, on things which matter in terms of uh, strategic priorities for the government of Serbia. And uh, number one strategic priority in terms of foreign affairs for Serbia is European uh, Union or our accession to the EU. The accession is a basically a long, difficult, often uh, frustrating process, uh, I think, uh, both for us and for the EU uh, and EU member states. So I can't say that it is frustrating only uh, for us. Uh, we are this year not celebrating but marking 10 years since basically the beginning of the accession process, but the, uh, the first the discussions on different chapters uh, were initiated in January 2014, but in 2013 the decision was made to actually start negotiations with Serbia for full, fully fledged, to become fully fledged member of the European Union. And ever since then uh, it has been one of the key priorities. Uh, I became the minister in uh, uh, end of June uh, 2017 and uh, uh, in each and every, and I had three programs for the government, exposés expose for, the, for the citizens and the, and the MPs in the parliament. In each and every exposé, uh, the strategic priority, as I said, in terms of uh, uh, foreign affairs was the EU accession. Now, the accession negotiations in uh, its I would say mechanisms and technicalities changed uh, two times uh, from then on. Firstly, we focused on the chapters, and there were in total 35 chapters. We have opened thus far 22, closed two chapters, and then France recommended a new methodology to make things more easily understood, to be easily understood by, by the citizens uh, so they can appreciate the accession better. Uh, so instead of talking about different chapters, we started talking about clusters, which to me also makes sense because citizens can follow it in a, I would say, a more logical manner, whether we are talking about the environment or energy or economy or taxation or the rule of law, fundamentals and so on and so forth. So 
Now we have five clusters, right, Tanya? Five, six clusters all together. Uh, and, uh, and, and now we have two clusters opened. We're hoping to open one more cluster by the end of the year. We will see how successful we are in this job. But from already from what I said, you can understand that it is a very technically, very uh, complex, very bureaucratic work. But instead of really talking about chapters or clusters and bureaucracy and technicalities, I like to actually view the accession process in terms of three key pillars. And those three key pillars are basically reforming each country which wants to become part of the European Union fundamentally. One key pillar is public administration. One pillar is the rule of law, and one pillar is basically economy. And by reforming these three key pillars, you are supposed to reform your country, you're supposed to fundamentally reform your society, and basically adopt and apply standards that are what you would say the European Union standards in public administration, economy, and the rule of law. I would say that Serbia has advanced the most in terms of this third pillar, that's the economy. And if you look at it, more or less, if we become, um, if we become the EU member today, we would be okay. Our public debt is only 51.4% of our GDP. Uh, unemployment is below 9%. Um, public defi uh, the, the budget deficit will be probably about 2.8%. The average salary is reaching the, the uh, standard of the, slowly reaching the standard of the EU. Our competitiveness is quite good. So I think, you know, in, in those terms, we have performed the best of the reforms and the most of the reforms in terms of the economy. And that pillar is, yes, we are proceeding with that. But in terms of the EU norms, we are closest to become an e to, to be fit to become the EU uh, member country in, the, in terms of economy. In terms of the public administration, we are also quite doing quite well. And, uh, and in terms of uh, transparency, efficiency of the public administration, citizen-focused public administration, we have done a lot in the past seven years, especially by introducing e-government in order to have the government which is 100% transparent, which is available to its citizens 24-7, 365 days a year, and the government which is uh, fighting corruption every step of the way. Because once you introduce e-government, you basically create everything uh, to be as transparent as possible, you fight corruption. So public administration reform, we have um, things to do, and obviously anyone can always improve, but we are good. In terms of the rule of law, still a lot more reforms to, to follow. And uh, in terms of what we need to uh, do going forward, certainly uh, the full implementation of the media strategy, uh, the uh, fight against corruption, the implementation of the comprehensive strategy for fighting against corruption, 
Currently, we have only operational, uh, uh, operational plans. We're supposed to do that by the end of September. But other things as well, in terms of fundamentals, human rights, um, uh, other things, national minorities, um, uh, and, 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 and things which are all under the umbrella of the, of the rule of law. But I have, to, I have to emphasize that in terms of the things which I thought were the most complex, those kind of reforms we pretty much fully implemented, and that is the judicial reform. We have changed our constitution with the support of the EU, with the support of the Council of Europe and Venice Commission, in order to make sure that our judiciary is fully and entirely independent from any political influence. We have then adopted the set of judicial laws or changed the set of judicial laws to actually align them with the changed constitution. And now it really truly is about judiciary to show that they work in the best interests of the citizens, that they are responsible, that they are accountable, and that they are much more efficient than what they used to be uh, in the past. Now, in terms of uh, other things that are stand between us where we are right now and us in the EU, I would, I would say uh, from uh, this point, two things. It's one is uh, uh, the uh, long-term stabilization with uh, Pristina, or some EU member states would say the normalization agreement between Serbia and Kosovo. Uh, and it's actually one of the most challenging things right now because it doesn't depend only on us. It takes two to tango, and unfortunately, especially in the past uh, 24 months, and especially um, in the last, in the year behind us, we had constant tensions, constant provocations, instability, and we are trying very, very hard. The government, with a huge support from President of the Republic of Serbia, Aleksandar Vucic, to keep things peaceful, as calm as possible, and stable. And the other thing is, is really the, uh, our alignment with common foreign and security policy of the EU, or to translate this into, I would say, a normal human language, that is the fact that Serbia still did not uh, uh, introduce sanctions to the Russian uh, Federation. Uh, and there are other arguments that, you know, considering that we have only 10 minutes, I wouldn't go into. Perhaps there will be questions from the audience. Um, but these are the things that, in our view, always pop up. You know, these are some of the, I would say, moving goalposts that each of the EU accession countries needs to face. They are the cause of constant frustration. But overall, and to conclude, if you want to become part of the club, in general, the club is allowed to move the goalposts. You can argue about it, you can be frustrated, you can be unhappy about it, but if you want to become part of the club, you need to follow the rules of the club. And for me, um, the only option, not the best place, by far the best place, but the only option for the sustainable, prosperous future of Serbia is Serbia within the European Union. 
We are economically already part of the European Union. 65% of our foreign direct investment is from the EU. 65 to 70% of our exports is exports to the EU. We are culturally, geographically, historically part of the European continent and European family of nations. And in the end of the day, I do not think we have a plan B. So uh, that is the, the, the road that we decided we want to travel, the best possible road for Serbia. And I, as a last note, have to say that more often than not, the journey is as important as the destination. So the changes that we are doing, to, that we are implementing to become part of the European Union, we do them in the first place because these changes are good for our citizens, our businesses, our economy, our society. And only then, because they will take us to the European Union. But in the first place, they're in the interest of our citizens. So I hope that uh, it won't take another 10 years, but I'm ready if it takes another 10 years, because as I said, it, uh, we do not have an option B. But I hope that uh, Serbia, as well as all of our other partners from the Western Balkans, will become part of the EU sooner rather than later. Because at the end of the day, the European Union is the most successful uh, peace project in the history of the mankind. And if anyone needs to be part of that peace process, then Balkans is certainly part of Europe, which needs that kind of a process. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Minister. Thank you. Would you like some water? Yes, thank you. There we go. I want to start by talking about the journey you mentioned and ask you how Serbia has changed since it became a candidate country. It has changed a lot. Um, and I would say um, uh, to, uh, to a large degree because of the EU accession. That's why I'm saying, you know, and that is what countries need to understand, is that sometimes journey is as important as the destination. Because um, you, can, you can have, you know, you can implement kind of these reforms, uh, you know, to be very open and very honest, in, in, uh, in two ways. You can basically do them for the sake of doing it and for the sake of ticking the box so that you can present to the uh, EU Commission, uh, the EU Parliament, uh, or, the, or the EU member countries that you have actually done something. So you have ticked the box and you've, you've done your homework. You can now go to a new level in terms of EU integration, or you can actually do it because you understand that that is important to actually change and for the public administration to become more uh, efficient, to become more transparent, to become more citizen-oriented, for the rule of law, you know, for ju judiciary to become more efficient, to become more accountable to citizens and businesses. And so, in my view, we have changed enormously, significantly, because we have taken the approach that we do not want to tick the box, we want to change. And we think that change is for the benefit of our country, our people and our society. So we have changed enormously, economically, in terms of infrastructure also due, due to the fact that we had huge investments from uh, the EU, 
um, in terms of energy, uh, also as kind of, uh, you know, having in mind the, the Green New Deal of the, the, the European Union. So in my view, the EU accession is a good toolkit to have as the prime minister or as someone in the administration to actually also help you decide what the priorities should be and how to do them and how to change your country. You think within 10 years you can close these clusters? I hope so, but the, you know, again, it, you know, it's, um, it doesn't depend only on us. It's also, at the end of the day, it's the decision of each individual EU member state whether they think it's a good thing for the club to expand. And so you can do your part of the of the job. Yeah. You can you can change. You can you know in each respect, in each of the clusters or in each of the chapters or in each of these three key pillars, you can implement whatever you you need and whatever is expected of you. Uh, reach the highest standards. But if the club thinks that at that particular point in time it's not in their best interest to expand, then you won't become a member of the club. Do you hear yes, but a lot? Uh, absolutely. What do they say yes, but regarding most? Oh, we, do, we, we <laughs> don't have enough time, but the, uh, you know, it would take us 10 days. Do you think it's fair, though, that the economic data you mentioned, there are more than half of Europe's member states would willingly take that economic data, the unemployment level that you have, the GDP, uh, the, the debt levels that you have as well. You know, these are s significant, like Italy, Spain would yes. love these. Um, you, and you talk about the judicial reform as well. You know, the European Commission's got its headaches with a number of member states regarding judicial reforms, which are, seem to be going backwards instead of forwards. So, you know, 10 years to close what you, you described as the two, two main, main issues. Do you see that there's a way forward now? I, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that there will be... I hope that there will be a new energy for enlargement, especially now with the, with the war in Ukraine and the Russian aggression of Ukraine. I hope that there will be energy for enlargement because I think it's, a, you know, it's not only in our interest, it's not in the interest of the Western Balkans, uh, but also of the Euro European did Union. The I think it would be geostrategically, I think it would be the right move. Okay, but did, did the conflict in, in Ukraine, this war against Ukraine, did it change the dynamic at all, or did it just accentuate a process that was already ongoing? Not thus far. Okay. Uh, in words, yes, but not in real terms. And I, I hope it will be. I had, you know, I had just had a full day of meetings, which were really very good, very constructive, very precise with, you know, where we are going and and how to get there and all of these things. So absolutely, I, I, I do hope so. Uh, but the you know, as, as you have said, you know, there. if you look at what's required of us as an accession country, um, you know, if you look at the EU already uh, existing EU members, if those standards were applied to them, they would never become an EU members. You know, I mean, you know, we had, uh, you know, the, the, in terms of rule of law and the judiciary, you know, we basically... Uh, implemented the reform in which judiciary is basically there is non-political influence almost whatsoever okay. in electing judges. Whereas in EU member countries, you have Minister of Justice who's electing judges, you have the President who's electing judges. 
if we had something like that, I mean, it would be a no-go, not for the EU membership, for sure. but for opening of one chapter, you know, so let alone cluster. But the, so, so, you know, the, but those are the things that I think, okay. you know, at the end of the day, I can complain and I complain and Vladimir knows, I mean, uh, you know, we complain all the time and me especially, and I understand that. But, you know, but those are the rules of the game. And if you want to become part of the club, you, you have to accept that. When we talk about the club, are we just talking about Europe or are we talking about the United States as an add-on with this as well? What's the relationship that uh, you have with the United States? Wow, well, that's a tough question. Yeah, well, is, it a, is it a positive influence on the European accession process or a negative influence or uh, is it a, an honest I mean, broker? What should I say? What's the right answer? What's the <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it's more a question of for the for the European Union. Sure. I mean, listen, I you know you have, you know, commonly what, what's commonly referred to European uh, integration and Euro-Atlantic in integration. Yes. You know, everyone else in the Western Balkans is for the Euro-Atlantic integration. We Serbia is, uh, you know, sticking with European integration. You know, in terms of. Uh, you know, Euro-Atlantic integration, we do not want to become part of NATO, but then again, there are other EU member countries that are not part of, of NATO. I'm from Ireland, so. There you go. The, what does Serbia bring to the European Union? Because... A lot of similarities between Serbia and Ireland. A lot of similarities. I come from the north of Ireland as well. Okay. So. <laughs> and I live in Washington now as well. Um, so this, this dynamic, uh, you know, it, it's very easy to go, but yes, but, yes, but. But your answer has got to be, Yes, but also, you know, this is what Serbia brings uh, to the European Union. What's the, not to, to be crass about it, what's the sales pitch that you, you give to uh, President von der Leyen and others when you, you're making the argument for moving forward at a better speed, removing the obstacles, changing this attitude? Well, firstly, I have to say that I, I truly believe that the European Union will be um, full and whole only once, once the Western Balkans are part of it. Because it truly is, Western Balkans truly are they're currently whole within the, United, the, the, the European Union. Yeah. Because we are surrounded by the EU member countries. So it's not like in the case of uh, uh, Ukraine or Moldova or other countries where you actually expand, you actually enlarge. This is really just kind of encompass a homecoming. The yes, the, the, the territory which is already, you know, in every way part of the of, of the European Union. So I think, in, again, in terms of geopolitics, it, it makes a lot of a lot of sense. And plus, you you know, I, again, you know, as I said, it's a it's a EU is a historically the most successful peace project in the history of the mankind. And, uh, and we need that peace project to, in that respect as well, expand to include the Western Balkans. Sure. Because you do not want to have, you know, other, you know, sources of instability within the European Union. And I understand that, that therefore, the EU doesn't want to but isn't that ironic? open issues. Isn't that we say we're a great peace project, but let's not deal with things which are a little bit... Too complex. So this issue is helping me enormously. So yes, I think wow. it's, it's ironic. Yes, but well, the, I, but I understand this project because from Northern Ireland, the peace process was uh, largely underwritten by the European Union. 
then you have Kosovo, uh, which is clearly problematic and is clearly a red flag for, for the European Union and the accession process, for, for Serbia's accession process. How do you resolve that, uh, that argument as well? How, how do you express the, you say, deeper integration, um, you, 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 it's a peace project. How do you uh, resolve this issue with Kosovo and remove the, the element of, of a red flag? I'm not it's for, for me, it's impossible to answer that question because if I knew the answer, we, sure. would, we would already implement it. I, you know, I'm very, a very pragmatic politician and I truly believe that when people have jobs, yeah. when they have prosperity, when they can see that, they, that their kids will have jobs, that, that the salaries are increasing, that, um, you know, they can... They can do a cutting-edge tech research, you know, things like that. That no one thinks anymore about the past. Uh, everyone thinks about the future. They do not want problems. They want to see solutions. I've seen that in Serbia. Serbia has changed enormously because since 2014, 2015, when the current president, Aleksandar Vucic, was the prime minister and implemented extremely difficult and unpopular fiscal consolidation measures, and then economic reforms, we have started with economic growth. People started getting jobs. We started building highways, high-speed railways. And no one is interested in wars or instability. And I think that would be the resolution for the entire Western Balkans, is, is really let's talk about what is our common future and how we can create jobs and more jobs and how we can as a comparatively smaller region, become more competitive, become, you know, a hub for, for the European continent, for some niche markets, you know, cutting-edge technologies is something that I envision for Serbia, for example, biotech going forward, artificial intelligence also going forward. And we have managed to do it in Serbia only in six or seven years. Okay. We can do it in the Western Balkans, and then it will be easier to talk about politics. But unfortunately, I think there's just too much politics in the Western Balkans, and, and politicians do not focus on things that matter the most for the livelihood of, of uh, the people. But at the end of the day, also to you know, uh, present an interesting argument, uh, when I heard one, you know, the, there was a, that same question was posed to former, former Chancellor of Germany, Gerhard Schroeder, and he said, as the person who knows Balkans very well, he said, listen, in hindsight, I think, you know, I would just include everyone in the EU, and immediately that day, the issues that everyone is facing today would be much smaller and the whole situation would, would be much more relaxed and it would be much more easier to resolve them. But that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a political decision and it had, has to be made by, by the EU and EU member state in itself. But I actually agree with, with that notion. I think that um, uh, at that point in time, everything else would be much, uh, more e e would be much easier to resolve. Excellent. Prime Minister, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Thank you. If I can ask uh, you all to stay seated, we're just going to arrange the chairs and the panel is going to join us and then we'll continue with the programme. Uh, thanks to the Prime Minister for the time uh, she's taken today as well.
Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. We're discussing uh, getting beyond the yes but idiom envisioning Serbia's future in the EU. We just had the Prime Minister of the Republic of Serbia with us. Uh, in case you missed that, you'll be able to watch it back on our YouTube channel a little later on as well. Uh, we have the studio audience with us here. And if you're watching online or in the studio, you'll be able to send us questions for the panel. And you can send them right now using the hashtag on Slido. It's Slido hashtag EU Serbia. You can scan your phone if you're at home there or in your office. And uh, in the, we won't be taking questions by microphone in, in the studio, so please uh, send your questions. Don't wait until the end. I'll be taking questions throughout the course of the discussion as well, so you can fire off whatever you want right now, and we'll put them to our panel. We have a distinguished panel uh, with us today. Uh, Get uh, Jan uh, Koppens. He's the Director General of the Director General of Neighbourhood and Enlargement Negotiations at the European Commission. Great to have you with us. Uh, Vladimir Bilcik is a member of the European Parliament uh, and uh, AFAD Committee and a member and rapporteur for the Serbia Report 2022. Good to, good to see you. Thank you. And uh, Tanya Mischevich, uh, she's the Minister of European Integration for the Republic of Serbia. Thanks so much for being here today. And we also have our colleague uh, from uh, Euractiv as well, uh, Bonja uh, Zimonic, and she will be assisting me with uh, questions today as well. So great to, to have you here too as well uh, from Serbia. And I'm going to ask each of our panel just to kick off with uh, just a 60-second uh, headline for uh, your key message for today. Kirchan. Thank you very much and uh, good afternoon. I think my key message is that enlargement is back. There is a historic opportunity which the countries in the regions should seize. The President has made a, an offer of a growth plan that we haven't talked about very much, but we should talk about because it tallies extremely well with what the Prime Minister was saying about the importance of uh, the economy. And I think there couldn't have been a better time to look at uh, the challenges facing enlargement than today. Okay, thank you so much. Vladimir. Well, Mr. Kupman stole my key message. <laughs> enlargement is indeed back on the agenda. And, and I mean it in a very serious way. Uh, you know, we just saw it at the last European Council meeting, a, a number of member states discussing enlargement over breakfast. Uh, and uh, I think uh, um, the mood across the EU has changed. And uh, Russia's uh, aggression against Ukraine has been a game changer. Uh, it is back uh, in town. Uh, we have uh, three additional candidate states as of last year. Uh, Ukraine, Moldova, and Bosnia-Herzegovina open up accession talks with Skopje and Tirana. And I think at the, at the moment, it's, it's time to deliver. And deliver on all of those things we've heard from uh, the Prime Minister Anna Bernabic. Reforms, reforms, and reforms. Alignment, not just sanctions, but foreign policy alignment. There are lots of things that can be done in that respect. And uh, certainly uh, dialogue between Belgrade and Pristina. In that sense, uh, the ball is very much in the hands of Pristina at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Yes, uh, I will continue in the same manner. So it is good that the enlargement is back in town. It is good that we are the topic for the breakfast. But uh, we waited for this for 20 years. And after 20 years, each and every of us, as we heard from the Prime Ministry, Prime Minister, uh, but also you can see that all around the Western Balkans, we are not the same. We are um, ready to start finalizing the process of our accession to the European Union with the emphasis on the process. That means to achieve the results of the reforms. Let's not forget that the Western Balkan is actually um, um, brought something to the uh, accession talks, and this is the rule of law. Why not discussing this way the uh, importance of the Western Balkan as a new coming members of the European Union? Thank you. Do we have a question for the panel? 
Uh, yes, we do. I would like to say thank you for everybody for joining us on behalf of your active Serbia. We actually have a little challenge for our panelists, okay. so if we can try to get through the next hour without using the word but. <laughs> it's probably not going to be easy, Mission however, impossible. let's try. But. but. Oh. <laughs> okay, so. Single T, right? Yes, one T, please. Thank you. So we do have, uh, our first question is for Minister Miščević. How is Serbia evolving on its path to EU membership? Well, there is always um, two elements to prove the developments in terms of the integration process for any country. One is, as uh, we heard, the actual level of the reforms. So that means what we have done, not only in terms of adopting laws, which are in, the, uh, in accordance with the EU acquis, but also what we did in terms of building the capacities for implementing that laws, and the newest level of our discussion on the uh, accession path for Serbia is how we can prove the track record, which means how we can prove that those laws and the institutions which are responsible for implementing EU acquis are actually producing results. So that shows that we are uh, at a level which is much different than it used to be at the beginning of the process, and the beginning of the process is with the beginning of the century. The second element for assessing the integration path is, of course, the number of open clusters now, actually chapters, especially the number of closed chapters, which all of us from the Western Balkans, we do not have a huge result. Uh, two for Serbia, three for Montenegro. So that is yet to come. Uh, and according to the new methodology, there are, of course, very clear elements for assessing the possibility for a country to start closing chapters, which will lead to the uh, membership, uh, the rule of law. The fundamental counts, this is the most important element. And of course, with the uh, geostrategic shift, the element of aligning with the common foreign security policy uh, is extremely important. Um, I'm sure that we are going to discuss this further, but uh, um, I would like to share that we are aligning ourselves with the common foreign security policy in many aspects, yet not aligning with the restrictive measures. That means not aligning with the sanctions. Okay, thank you. From the Commission side, same question, Gertjan. We heard from the Prime Minister earlier, and it, does this reflect your view of how the process is going? That um, it's work in progress, but the direction's good, that uh, the economic results are, are great, the common foreign security policy is really the sticking point at the moment. How do you see it? I think the Prime Minister gave a realistic uh, assessment uh, of the situation, focusing on two areas where more work is needed uh, uh, in, in terms of priorities, the fundamentals and uh, uh, also uh, looking uh, at uh, CFSP. Uh, I think that is very clear. Um, I would say that there are a number of other areas where there is still a little bit of homework. Uh, energy unbundling is still not completed, has been delayed. More fundamentally, I think uh, there is every opportunity to accelerate. Uh, we are in very close contact. I think uh, Tanya was the first minister who visited me and she is a she has the platinum pass, uh, so <laughs> she, she's a very frequent visitor. I didn't visitor. know that. <laughs> yes, you have the platinum pass. So uh, there is every possibility to accelerate. I would make one point, which sure. is very important. The choice to be a member state is a choice that has to be carried by society fully, unequivocally. 
And I think the great discourse we hear today is extremely positive. We need to hear it everywhere, including in Belgrade. Thank you. Thank you. Vladimir, the similar kind of process, but you know, the, the, the heart of our question today is how do we get beyond the yes, but, I mean, I'm allowed to say it, you're not. Um, how, how do you get beyond this? How do you change the narrative where there's a, a, a more positive framing of the discussion around Serbia's accession? I think we need uh, genuine engagement. And genuine engagement uh, has to come from uh, this town, from across the 27 member states. And I think. Uh, what does that mean, though? What does genuine engagement mean if it's just going through the process as normal? Do you consider that genuine engagement? Well, genuine engagement means it's not yes, however. Okay. And uh, uh, I think at the moment, uh, when I look at the past 10 years, enlargement is very much uh, on the side of yes. And there is much less however. Uh, and, and that's very clear. It's been very clear for the past uh, 12, uh, 16 months. Uh, and I think there is a genuine opportunity here. It doesn't come every year. Yeah. You know, when I look at the history of this project, um, uh, we've always had ups and downs with enlargement. And I think uh, it's back in town, it's back in the game, not just here in Brussels, but across a number of capitals. Uh, look at the discussion in Paris, for instance. It's very different now than it was 12 months ago. Uh, and I think uh, uh, everybody who is serious about enlargement needs to seize that opportunity. And the same goes uh, uh, on, uh, on this course, uh, not just in Belgrade, but across Serbia. Sure. Uh, Serbia does have a public opinion problem. And I agree in part uh, with uh, Tanya Miščević. It is uh, the fatigue. It is the fact that this agenda has been on for very long. And a lot of people, including politicians in the region, have lost uh, belief and conviction that uh, accession is going to take place. And I think that has to uh, be, that belief has to come back uh, because it's a top-down approach and uh, we need that public support. Uh, we need that conviction to be back uh, in the game of uh, domestic politics, also in Serbia, uh, because without that, those important reforms uh, will not be carried through. And, and you know, uh, a lot has been done when it comes to judicial uh, reforms, but a lot more has to be done when it comes to implementation, the media sector, uh, energy unbundling, um, structural reforms, um, and of course, foreign policy alignment. Uh, um, a lot has to be done to convince the people that uh, when we want to look to a future, which is European, we also have to deal with the past, which was not European. Uh, and uh, I think uh, for all of this, we need very genuine and honest engagement. Uh, I listened to the Prime Minister today very carefully, and I think we need more of that talk, uh, not just here in Brussels, but also across Serbia. I'm going to ask the same question in a second to Tanya, but uh, Vladimir, when you talk about f uh, public opinion fatigue, is it justified for the people of the Republic of Serbia to look at the European Union and go, yeah, well, you know, we tried, and you just keep moving the goalposts? Or is the European Union justified in saying, look, here's the deal, you've you got to implement this as we say, and that's the end of it? Vladimir. I'll be quite blunt here. Uh, no. Uh, because when I look at the region, when I look at the public opinion across the region, Serbia does stand out. Uh, and, and I think um, if... Uh, the EU membership is the strategic priority of the government of the society um, that uh, can and should be reflected a lot more when it comes to the public opinion. Okay. And I know that Serbia is in a very difficult position because of its history, because of its uh, various ties and dependencies. But as we've said it uh, since February 2022, it is time to choose and choose decisively.
Uh, and I think uh, if the choice is clear at the level of the elite, it'll be a lot clearer at the level of the public opinion too. Okay. Anastasia, do you agree with that? Um, bluntly. <laughs> uh, Serbia does not have a problem with its past. It has a problem with the uh, contemporary developments and especially in terms of dialogue and especially in terms of escalation. What is going on in the dialogue uh, on normalization, <coughs> which is one of the topics concerning not only Serbia, Pristina, then Kosovo, of course, but also all the region, and we are all aware of it. So it's very difficult, difficult to pursue the reforms, and we are pursuing the reforms when you have such a huge political issue to deal with. Second, I disagree that only Serbia has a problem with the public opinion regarding the European integration. Um, Let's go and check in other countries of the Western Balkans. You will see the same situation. The huge drop of those who are enthusiastically pro-European. Why? Uh, they don't have the same type of problem as we do, but they have different type of problems facing for many decades now uh, and not having any result in terms of upgrading the level of the integration process for all of them. Look, after so many years, Bosnia and Herzegovina um, was granted the, the status of candidate only last year. And that also uh, had a huge repercussion on what is going on there. And the third very important thing that I would like uh, to share, Jan knows that, uh, um, Vladimir knows that, is the level of uh, the reforms that we are doing. So rule of law is the priority, is the fundamentals, without any question mark. So what we did, since the beginning of last year is that we completely shifted the way that we select and appoint the judges and the prosecutors. It's the huge uh, shift in terms of changing the culture of judiciary in my country. For this, you need some time to arrange everything, both for those who are selecting, but also for those who are doing the job of judges and uh, prosecutors, as well as the, for the society okay. to learn how to deal it. Uh, fight against corruption and media. We are not starting from the scratch. We are actually doing things to improve the situation that we learn is not going into the good direction. With the emphasis of fighting against corruption to produce a zero tolerance uh, to corruption and, uh, and fighting against systemic corruption and uh, regarding the implementation of media uh, strategy. More professionalism, more media freedom, more and uh, um, a much resilient role of the regulatory body. So we are in the process. We are not there, but we are doing the homework. I think we're all in the process as well. Gurdjian, do you want to follow up there? Yeah, no, thank you very much. I, I, I think the Prime Minister said two things to which I subscribe 100% and that are worth repeating right now. One is that we need to look at the future, not at the past. The region looks at the past too much. And actually, that's also true for the EU. I mean, you, you asked the question uh, whether, you know, we have been tangoing in good faith all along. I think it's the wrong question. The question is, are we actually determined now to move forward, both of us, uh, the EU27 and the Western Balkans? And I think the answer to this question is yes. And, and that therefore presents a historic opportunity. The other thing that, that she said, which I thought was quite remarkable from a, for, for a prime minister to say, is that there's too much politics in the Western Balkans. 
Um, that, that's quite a statement, right? And a statement which I think I would also subscribe to because the focus has to be laser sharp on the reforms. The reforms are ultimately what counts because the choice of becoming a member state means that you, you take the operating system of the EU and you make it your own operating system. I'm sorry, there's not, not, nothing you can do around that. And yeah, it is about... It's a technical process. It's, and that is, it's, it's technical, but it is also, if you will, of critical importance to the way your, your, your society and country functions. So focusing on that is essential, and you have to do it all the way. And I, I think Tanya is mentioning a lot of things that are moving in the right direction. What matters now is accelerating and completing it. Okay, on accelerating and completing, has the Ukraine dynamic shifted uh, gears a little, uh, or perceptions a little, or tolerance a little? I, I, I think, no, I, I think it's not about cutting corners or, 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 or shortcuts. I mean, that, that I think is not going to happen. I think what, what, what has, has happened is the... But is there a new embrace? There is, there is a new embrace. So I think change in attitude. I, I think you know, the willingness of the 27 to look at this in earnest again, and it is no secret that there have been periods where the 27 were a bit less enthusiastic, at least some of the 27 were a bit less enthusiastic, I think that's gone. Okay. So there is this opportunity and it needs to be seized. I okay. really strongly believe it needs to be seized now. Okay. Tanya, seizing opportunities, is there something more you can do right now? Yeah, yeah, that is what we are doing right now. I mean, um, it's in our best interest to seize the opportunity, to seize the momentum. Uh, that is what we are doing. Um, we actually went beyond the uh, sketching the four elements of the growth plan. So we discussed both internally in Serbia, but also with uh, uh, the engineer on the potential areas for where we will see the potentials for upgrading the level of integration, both regionally, but also the integration into the single market. And even beyond that, we discussed with our dear colleagues from North Macedonia and Albania um, to uh, start up the process and to put it into the wider context. So it's not only Berlin process, which is extremely important, but into the integration process because it concerns the integration of each and every of the, uh, uh, of the candidate country. So we are not starting from nowhere, 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 because we already in the region, we do have some experience of accelerated integration in some of the areas, like transport community, like energy community. So we know how to do it. Let's think of using much more techniques than politics in developing the uh, results. Thank you. I'm going to take some questions from the audience in just a moment. So uh, Slido and hashtag EU Serbia and uh, Boyana will uh, bring this to us. Do we have any just yet? Uh, yes, we actually do. Okay, so go ahead. We have a question for Mr. Mišević. What are the measures of Serbia to comply with the EU Green Deal objectives and do we have any time marks? Yes, we do. Uh, so um, let me just remind to our viewers and all of us, after the adoption of the Green Deal for the European Union, the Western Balkans has prepared a green agenda for the Western Balkans uh, under the auspice of the common regional market. So I presume and I can bet actually that that is going to be again one additional part of the accelerated integration. If any area proves that the region belongs to the European Union is actually the environmental protection climate change. Intrinsically, we are part of Europe in, uh, in that respect. And yes, Serbia has the action plan 
for all elements of the implementation of the Green Agenda, not the Green Deal. Um, the plan can be seen on the website of the Ministry of Environmental Protection and Climate Change, not to go into the details, but it, it is in accordance with the, uh, um, both the integration process, which means the uh, Chapter 27, which has been open uh, December 2021, uh, as well as with the obligation of implementing the closing benchmarks for this uh, chapter. Thank you. Anyone else want to add on this? Kerchan? Okay. Any other questions? Uh, yes, we have a couple of questions. Uh, so for Mr. Kochman, uh, EC in 2020 Western Balkan paper mentions accelerated integration and phasing in in the EU programs and funds. Will DGNIR come up with a concrete action plan or a list of programs and funds and what criteria are needed for Western Balkan countries to take part in them? Okay. So, so this is actually a question about the growth plan which our president announced. Let, let me maybe describe it because I think it is a unique offer that not only will strengthen the economy but actually will accelerate uh, accession if it is uh, seized. So there are four elements in this plan. The first is to actually offer accession to bits and pieces of the internal market that are critical um, before enlargement. And that is, I think, a very significant offer because it is something that breaks with a tradition where, where enlargement happens once uh, uh, you, know, you, you actually uh, enter the EU. Here, it, it would happen soon. Second element, that would be linked to opening these sectors or activities also in the region. You cannot have access to the EU 27 internal market if you can't work together with your neighbor. So these two things are linked. Third element, we need to focus on the economy, we need more growth, and for that there are two ingredients. One is reforms, the fundamentals, but also the business environment. We, we don't talk enough about that. Uh, the Prime Minister actually talked about that, that's very important. We need to raise the growth rate, the structural growth rate in the region dramatically if we want people to see their future in the region. We want to stop the exodus of young people. So raising the growth rate has to be an objective. Reforms are essential, investments are essential, and for that, Commission President has announced, in the context of the revision of the Union's budget, the seven-year budget, a significant envelope for, for, for the Western Balkans that could be topped up by significant loans in return for commitments to reforms and to investments. That, if you will, is next generation EU for the Western Balkans. We have it for the 27th. We're offering it to the countries of the Western Balkans. The link with enlargement is clear. The reforms are necessary for growth, but they're also necessary for enlargement. So I think that could pull forward the accession process by years, but more importantly, even for the people out there, this can raise living standards rapidly. So, so this is what Tanya and I have been discussing, and I'm discussing it with other colleagues in the region. Uh, we're going to be rolling this, this, this proposal out uh, uh, shortly after the summer. I think we need to work very hard because we need to convince the EU 27 member states to put their cash where their mouths are because this has to come with a revision of the union's budget. We think it's necessary. We think it's a fair and offer to the region. can change the dynamics, break a bit the skepticism, let's be honest. And that's why we're putting so much energy in it. Thank you. Yeah, Vladimir, please. Let me just add a couple of points on this. Um, I think this is an extremely important point. And let me just say that the European Parliament also supports the idea that we need to look at uh, the revision of the budget. This is a broader issue. Uh, we've had important game changers since we adopted the budget. Of course, the consequences of the pandemic, 
uh, and uh, Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, uh, and uh, the war uh, is continuing and is likely to continue. Uh, and this brings up uh, important consequences also for our economies, uh, for the budgetary priorities, uh, and um, you know the consequences of uh, Putin's invasion for our uh, inflation, for um, the investment environment. Uh, and, and I think we need to make sure that those with whom we are building our common future in our neighborhood, including the Western Balkans, uh, are uh, on the same line and uh, on the same baseline. Uh, so I think this is extremely important that uh, we allocate uh, substantial funds uh, to our partners. Um, it's also important that we offer people in the region uh, a future. One of the issues uh, which we touch on also in my report, which the European Parliament adopted uh, in May this year, um, is uh, the problem of depopulation. Depopulation is a problem across the Western Balkans, but also uh, in, in Serbia. Uh, I think there is a, a very good and committed UN program which uh, deals with these issues. Uh, and let me just uh, mention that uh, the European future, which is on the table, uh, is, uh, I think, one of the key answers to the problem of depopulation. Young people uh, in the region, in Serbia, uh, need to have a feeling that uh, it makes sense to stay in the country, it makes sense to um, invest in their future in the country, and here the EU uh, can and should be a game changer. The final point, um, I agree uh, that economy is an important part of the answer, but that also has to go hand in hand with uh, sound politics. And uh, we haven't really mentioned that issue, and I hope uh, we get to discuss that. Um, it's something uh, which we in the European Parliament uh, are very much engaged in uh, when it comes to having a frank dialogue on how we can also help facilitate uh, the quality of uh, uh, the work of uh, the Narodna Skupština, the parliament in uh, Serbia, but also parliamentary and representative democracy in the country, uh, because I think that economic growth those reforms uh, and also those investments have to go hand in hand with uh, not just rule of law, but also uh, basic democratic institutions. And I think Serbia uh, has uh, made uh, um, some important progress in this direction. Uh, and let me just say we are ready to be engaged uh, more on this front. Okay, thank you. We're going to go back to some politics in just a moment. Any more questions there? Uh, yes, a couple of more. Uh Will Serbia be seeking a strategic partnership with the EU on strategic and raw, critical raw materials? Oh, if I am uh, not wrong, this is actually um, a joint venture. So we cannot apply for the strategic partnership uh, if there is a need for establishing something like this, this is uh, then the possibility. So we are talking about the value chains on the production of the e-cars, e-vehicles, which goes beyond uh, the critical raw materials. Um, we learned that there are several uh, uh, of that type of the strategic partnerships that up to now the European Commission, European Union signed with several of the countries which are in the uh, close connection with the European Union, that means with Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Norway, um, with the main aim of nearshoring the value chains, which means to produce uh, the e-cars, which are going to be the obligation uh, at very uh, uh, near future for all of us, but uh, Europe, uh, is short of the critical raw materials and the whole uh, uh, system of production. 
we are going to discuss, of course, because all of those elements are uh, the growth elements of the elements of the development. And yes, we are seeking the new possibilities for development of Serbia. Do you have anything to add there? I think it's a huge opportunity for Serbia and for the EU 27, and it's definitely something that we should look at in the context of this growth plan, absolutely. Thank you. Another question? You can send, continue sending questions to uh, hashtag EUSerbia. Let's go back to sign politics, Vladimir. What do you mean? What are sign politics? Well, um, I will tell you uh, a, a quick recap of what we have been doing from the side of the European Parliament together with our uh, partners and friends in um, the National Assembly in the Parliament uh, in Belgrade since 2019. Uh, we uh, uh, had the EP facilitated, European Parliament facilitated inter-party dialogue, whose aim was to help bring uh, the opposition back into the institutions, uh, namely elections first. We didn't quite succeed in back in 2020, uh, but 2022 was a different story, fortunately. Uh, and uh, then, of course, um, in uh, the Parliament itself, I'm glad that the European Parliament also, through our efforts, helped uh, that process uh, and that uh, after the elections in 2022, uh, we have a much more representative parliament. The opposition is back in. Um, and we want to uh, foster this development further. That's why we are now engaged in what we call the parliamentary uh, dialogue process. Uh, that's another uh, acronym, PDP, if you want. But basically, it means we are ready to help facilitate dialogue inside the parliament. Now, we were just on a mission in early June in Belgrade. The situation on the ground is not easy because this was just in the aftermath of the mass shootings, which took place in Belgrade and also Mladenovac. I think uh, there is uh, a great sense of uh, catharsis in the public, including public protests. Uh, and. Um, um, you know, uh, demands by the people, the sense of polarization in politics is heightened. And I think what Serbia needs for precisely those kinds of reforms that uh, uh, Tanya Miščević is talking about is some basic level of understanding and consensus uh, across the society in the parliament that if Serbia is to move forward towards the European Union, um, you know, the politics has to work in the direction of those reforms, including inside the parliament. Okay. The EU should not be a target. The EU should be the goal. When I say not a target, it's not something you shoot at, but rather uh, it's something you aspire to. Okay, one more question. Uh, from the audience, yes, it's a question for Mr. Kochman. Uh, Russia's war on Ukraine has created momentum for enlargement. You were speaking about accelerating and completing but we're facing EU elections next year and a new commission. How worried are you that next year could be a year of stagnation and how to avoid that vacuum? Well, I think it's a good question. Understandable question, let me put it this way, but it's something we should not be too concerned about because I think there is so much momentum, so much commitment. To quote my neighbor here, the commitment is broad. It's across uh, 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 member states, across political families in the EU 27. So I don't think that in reality uh, the elections and the appointment of a new commission will, will actually change, change that. Uh, therefore, we need to double down now. We need to work hard. Mm -hmm. We need to resolve outstanding issues um, and uh, uh, then reap the fruits uh, 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 in, the, in, in, in the near future. Okay. If Go I can just please. with one sentence jump in that. You know, you remember back in uh, between 2014-2019, we had the Jean-Claude Juncker-led commission. And it was unfortunate that that commission basically made it very clear at the start of its mandate, 
enlargement would not happen in the next five years. And that was an unfortunate message also to our partners. Now, Ursula von der Leyen's approach has been fundamentally different. This is a geopolitical commi uh, commission. There is a commitment to enlargement. And, and I agree. I think uh, the elections and the new composition of the uh, future institutions, the parliament, the commission could uh, bear fruit and bring results. I'm convinced uh, uh, that based on the mood now across the U27, there is a real chance to see uh, a number of uh, accession processes uh, come to fruition and completion in the next five years. Do you think there's a risk, a heightened risk now, because we see a move to the right in some elements? We see uh, riots in the streets of France. If you remember, you, you mentioned uh, what happened with the beginning of the Juncker Commission. That was in direct response to uh, migration concerns. It was about opening the borders. It was the narrative of close everything down, fortress Europe. Do you fear that we were going to return to that uh, sentiment because of what you see in, in, in various countries across Europe? S Spain, we're looking at Vox being in government very soon. I was in London uh, just last week on a, a committee mission uh, with a special committee on, on foreign interference. The Union as well. And uh, uh, this was just uh, seven years after the Brexit referendum. And the mood in London, and not just in London, across the UK, when you look at the public opinion, is, is one of um, uh, big catharsis, deep regret, and uh, understanding uh, across the majority. Um, I'd say not just the population, but the political class at this point, this was a mistake. And I think that is the best answer to all of those skeptics. Enlargement is a way forward. Uh, I think the EU is readier than ever. I think we need to seize that opportunity. We've always had some far right and far left, uh, far left forces uh, in, in, in our respective governments. Uh, but I think at the moment, uh, you know, uh, there, is a, there is a real sense of urgency here also given the wider geopolitical context. So I think uh, we have a chance. All, all of us need to seize it. Okay. Tanya, you know, if we're doing a SWOT analysis here, we're talking about the strengths, some of the weaknesses, the opportunities. This has got to be a threat to the acceleration of the, the accession process as well. How do you uh, interpret the mood music across Europe now, what that would mean for the European elections? Do, do you share this optimism that Vladimir has, or would you look back to the early Juncker, year, Juncker years and think, well, that could happen again? So we agree to think about the future, right. not go to the past. <laughs> but uh, as some of the... Um, uh, senior members of the European Commission, some of those who, uh, before Jan Kopman uh, uh, led the, the process on behalf of the European Commission, I've learned that actually the European Commission never made mistakes, that they learn on their experience. Oh, we're all well aware of that. No, but they learn from their experiences, and learning from their experiences, we also learn that uh, the setbacks are also possible, that we we saw them, that uh, uh, there is always uh, room for uh, going further, going faster, which is a good thing. That, yes, I can see. Um, I've traveled a lot this June um, uh, and visited capitals uh, of many of the member states, and I heard so many times the momentum phrase, uh, which means that genuinely there is a momentum. But what is going to be at the very end, uh, very end being the new elections for the European Parliament, how that Parliament is going to look like, this is also under question mark, uh, always, as always, especially now if I am, but I do see a part of Lado, we also, uh, also see some other members of the European Parliament. I haven't heard 
up to now ever such a huge interest for the uh, um, the election of the members of the European for the European elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's becoming an extremely important thing. That means that the European Parliament, that means politics, uh, is uh, becoming much more important. Then the second thing is the more politics into, into the new methodology. I saw here a dear friend, uh, the uh, Montenegrin head of mission, um, the politics into, uh, I, I'm sure that he will agree, but also others, politics into the new methodology brought and uh, introduced the bilateral issues that has to be solved. Up to now, it used to be the recommendation. We should solve the bilateral issues. Now it's the obligation. And that might be a problem for my country, bordering with four member states of the European Union. And that is a huge challenge that we are trying to sort out even, uh, even before. And the third challenge, if I may, uh, is, of course, the constant evolution of the EU law. So it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. So when we are discussing what we are doing today, that might be obsolete next year, because some things like the migration issue, like the migration pact, might be introduced. So it might be a huge change in terms of introducing the policy, the new type of policy which we uh, have to pursue or uh, be part of. Thank you. You want to reply to this? Can I just very briefly? I mean, life is full of uncertainties. We all make plenty of mistakes. I'm sure my former colleagues or the colleagues who used to be involved with this policy are honest enough to admit that they also made mistakes. Uh, um, but, you know, I, and, and, and life doesn't have any certainties. Yes, there are uncertainties. There are risks. Things can go wrong. But, you know, we need to zoom out and look at where we are today. And, I mean, going back 20 years, 30 years, in the country I know best, I'm a Dutchman, I've never heard uh, such a consensual view on the importance of our neighbors. Not saying that they're ready to sign on the dotted line, sure. it doesn't work like that. Huh? But, I mean, you know, if we cannot make it work in this uh, set of circumstances, we're really uh, uh, failing our, our, our obligations uh, to our citizens, both in the EU27 and in the Canada's countries. When you talk about this set of circumstances, you're talking about Europe facing off against Russia, right? Yeah, I, I, th I think essentially we, we live in a different world. Europe facing, yeah, it's, this is about European values, ultimately. Why is the war in Ukraine so powerful? Yeah. Because it's really about what we are and what we don't want to be. And, you know, the countries around us, the Western Balkans, if they very clearly, and I think that that's what they're doing, choose to be with us, you know, then yeah. you, you touch an emotional nerve uh, uh, that, that, that actually is very, very powerful politically. And that, that's what, what you see in the population. We're running close on time, so there are a few subjects I really love to get into, but we're just not going to have time. Vladimir, uh, when we you look at the United States and how Europeans used to look at the United States as this heroic, this monumental achievement, this, this uh, thing to be aspired to, uh, is this what we want uh, those who look towards Europe to join it? Is this what we want them to see as well? Is that, is that reasonable that um, it, it should be a, a great hope, a great aspiration, and even a dream like people dreamed of going to America? Is this, or is this simply a, an economic project and a peace project? It's much more than an economic project and a peace project. It's a political project. And, and this is why the politics of it is, is so crucial and so important. And if you can do the technicalities, uh, by putting aside politics, 
you will have succeeded because this is what we. Let me, let me interject just there. Is clearly the experience of, of many member states that when Europe does something well in those member states, the local politicians take credit and Europe is still blamed for, you know, we go to Hungary, for example, large amounts of money. Orban still blames uh, the, the European Union for everything, but they continue to build roads, continue to improve infrastructure. You know, is, is there a communications dynamic which the European Union is failing at now, which needs to change regarding Serbia, that you, know, you need to change this mentality of, of them and us or this fatigue? You need to sell the story. Look, uh, one remark on Budapest, um, you know, the story is not so simple and uh, there is some money which is no longer flowing to Budapest and that's a result of uh, also the politics in Budapest and, and you know, the EU is, is very clear. Uh, this is a club based on certain, certain values. I also uh, will say uh, that the European Union, I mean, this is a lovely town, this is a lovely place, uh, but uh, this is a bit of a bubble. And certainly this is not uh, uh, the EU itself. This is the essence of the EU. But the EU will never work unless there is a real commitment and real identification with the EU across the 27 member states. And I think this is why uh, when we talk about enlargement, it's so important. And, and uh, Tanya Mishchevich is uh, you know, uh, on this tour across uh, the capitals of uh, the EU. And that's important because that's where the decisions uh, are taken. And I think this is where we need to have a better understanding of the fact that it's not us and them, but it's future us. And I think as long as we achieve it in a critical mass of member states, uh, also decisions here in Brussels are going to be a lot easier. But one remark on the US. Um, uh, I think it's also important to say that at the moment, uh, the US and the EU are pedaling very much in the same direction. When it comes to seizing uh, the consequences of Putin's aggression, uh, which are directed towards enlarging uh, the European and the Euro-Atlantic area. Um, and we see it very clearly when it comes to, however difficult it is, the dialogue between Belgrade and Pristina, uh, the, uh, Washington and, and, and Brussels are very much uh, on, on, on the same, uh, same broad lines. Um, and this also comes uh, to, to broad support uh, for enlargement. Okay. And I think this is the only way forward also when it comes to enlargement, and this is the only way forward also when it comes to Serbia's European path. Thank you. We've got to wrap up now. I want to give Tanya the last word. Give Jans the takeaway for today. What's your message? A positive message. I think, you know, we should work very hard all together to achieve uh, this historic opportunity. Thank you. Vladimir. Let's have more discussions such as this one. We will. Tanya. Now he took the word from <laughs> my mouth. Yes, we should discuss this way openly, honestly, without any constraints in terms of explaining the position. As much as we are discussing, not only here in Brussels, and you are both right, if we are talking uh, the same type of dialogue, organizing the same type of dialogue on European future of Serbia and Belgrade, it will be healing process. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you to Tanya, to Vladimir, to Goyan, to Bojana also, and uh, to our uh, Euroactive Serbia team, uh, Rusa, who's with us here. Uh, thanks also to uh, Prime Minister for joining us today uh, for the excellent contribution uh, that she made. To our team that are always behind the scenes, uh, you can see them uh, to Bojana, uh, Malta, Zoran, and uh, all the events team here at Euroactive. To our studio audience and those who sent in questions, we're very grateful for that. So, enlargement is back. I'm Brian McGuire. Thank you.